Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from King of Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. God always has something important for us to say on these Tuesday mornings. And he's got something very important for us to understand this morning. Because what he wants to do is to save you from a false kind of spirituality. You see... You could, this morning, come to a place of saying, or somebody could lead you in in, in a meeting to say, make a, a further offering of yourself to God and you think of some way in which you could make that further offering to God and you do that and you feel really good about it because... That's progress. You've done something uh, that seems really positive and good. Whereas, in fact, what you have done is being disobedient to God's word. And what you have done actually is an action of unbelief without realizing it. Might have been very sincere, but actually what you do in circumstances like that is to negate what God has done for us in Christ. So we need to understand how we are to live in the good of what he has done so that we don't make mistakes like that. Okay. Now, just a little bit of Greek for you. You hear me say often that the tenses of the verbs in Scripture are of great importance because they tell us what God has done, what he is doing now, and what he promises to do in the future. And I'm constantly talking to you about this continuous present tense that... um, that speaks to us of continuous action. Abide in me, go on continuously living in me, remain in me, rest in me. It's that continuous action uh, of that particular tense. Now, there are a number of past tenses uh, in Greek. There is the imperfect, there is the, the perfect, what we have done, and so on. But there is also another very important tense called the aorist tense. Now, the aorist tense speaks of a completed action that in the past. It's something that has happened. It's a definite, deliberate action. Finished. It's not just speaking of what we have done in the past or what we were doing yesterday, which is the perfect and the imperfect, but it's that finished, completed action. For example, we have been grafted into Christ. We can only abide in him because 
God has put us into Christ. That is a completed action. You cannot gradually be put into Christ. It's something that God did, a completed action. Now we continue to live in the good of that completed action. He put us into Christ, we continue to live in Christ. We know that our whole salvation hangs upon the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified. And you know by now that he not only was crucified for you in the sense that all your sins, all your sicknesses, uh, all the negative, all the failure of the past was put on to Christ when he went to the cross, but that you have been crucified with him. Uh, now, you know that because I've told you that several times already this term, but I'm going to explain more of what that really means this morning. If you have been crucified with Christ, you first of all have to understand, well, what was the significance of the crucifixion for Christ? What was the reason, what was he actually doing in, in, in allowing himself to be crucified? Well, first of all, he was making a sacrificial offering to his father. This was the sacrificial offering that would cover all the needs of humanity so that salvation would be possible. So he was fulfilling the will of his father by making this sacrificial offering of himself to the father. At the same time, he was not doing this for himself. He was doing it for the will of his father, but he was doing it on behalf of all of others, of all those for whom he was making this sacrifice. So you understand that he was sacrificing to the father and he was sacrificing for others. Now, if you have been crucified with him, and you have, listen to me, you have been crucified, you have been made a sacrificial offering to God. In other words, Jesus didn't simply offer himself he offered you. He offered to the Father all those who were involved in that crucifixion. So you were crucified with him for the benefit of other people. You see, you share in the same purpose of being crucified, for the will of God to be fulfilled, but the whole purpose of the crucifixion was for others. So you were offered 
as a sacrificial offering to the Father for the benefit of others. That's what happened when Jesus was crucified and you were crucified with him. So if you go to that key verse in Colossians 3, verse 3, where Paul says, you died. Now, that is the aorist tense. You died. Once and for all, a finished historic action. You died. Now, you cannot put to death what has died. Hello. Right at the beginning of term, all you students made that, wrote your letter to Jesus, made that offering of yourself to God. And I told you at the time that this is like appropriating for yourself the fact that you were crucified with Christ. What you are doing in making that offering of yourself, is you are acknowledging that when Jesus died, he offered me to the Father. Jesus prayed this before he went to the cross. You remember he says in John 17 um, that for their sakes, for our sakes, he consecrated himself that they may be truly consecrated. He sanctified himself that they may be truly sanctified. In other words, in what he did, we have had something happen to us, historically. Now, you cannot put to death what has died. And you cannot offer to God what has already been offered. You cannot consecrate to God what has already been consecrated. All you can do is to keep acknowledging that that offering, that total offering of yourself, has been made. And that, therefore, now, the continuous action is that you continue to live in the good of that historic event. Are you with me? So it's not a question of how much I offer myself to God because I've already been offered completely, totally, 100% to God by my co-crucifixion with Christ. What matters is how much I live in the good of that consecration, of that death, therefore of the life that I now have in Christ. So the Christian life isn't trying to put yourself to death. You can't put to death what has died. But then you see, having said to the Colossians, you have died, definitive, completed action. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That has got nothing to do with how much you think you offer your life to God day by day. It's got nothing to do with that. It's historically what has happened. 
Historically, you have died, and because you were crucified with Christ and raised to a new life with him, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Got nothing to do with what you do. You see, this if you put the emphasis upon searching yourself and looking at yourself and offering yourself, you are trying to fulfill the will of God yourself. Instead of understanding that the will of God can only be fulfilled by having your focus and concentration on him. So, you have died. You died. Completed action. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's got nothing to do with feelings. This is the truth. This is a fact. This is something that God has established. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So then Paul says to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. In other words, and then he lists a whole lot of sinful things, sinful things of the flesh. Put those things to death. Not because you haven't died, but because you have died. Not because you're trying to kill yourself off, but because Jesus Christ has already taken you to the cross and you have already been crucified with him and you have already died. Therefore, those things do not belong in the life of someone whose life is now hidden with Christ in God. Are we understanding? So, you see, you have to believe the truth first Otherwise, you will think, well, putting to death means that I haven't died. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul is saying. It's because you have died, you don't allow anything that is of the flesh to captivate or to persist in your life that is contrary to the fact that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So it's a question of believing, yes, I have been crucified with Christ, yes, I have been consecrated to him 100%. I can't offer any more of myself because Christ has already offered everything that I am and all that I have to God. I have to recognize that, believe that, live in the good of what he has done. But it isn't that I consecrate myself, he has consecrated me. I can't kill myself off. I have died. I could never put myself in the vine. He ha God the Father has placed me in the vine. So in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, you remember Paul talks about uh, Jesus being our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. You remember that? But what does the scripture actually say? For he has become for us. Not he needs to be. Are you there? 
Not that he needs to be, but he has already become your wisdom. He is already your righteousness. He is already your holiness. He is already your redemption. You see, it's all about what he, who he is and what he has done. It's not about you and what you do. Hello? Are there any believers here? You're very quiet. You see, we tend to look at the whole situation from our point of view. What must I do? No, no, no. It's what he has done. This is the secret of the Christian life. This is the way of victory. This is how you walk by faith. You don't walk by faith in what you do. You walk by faith in what he has done. And what he has done is a completed total work of salvation which makes it possible for us to walk as he did. But you see, we know that this is the will of God. This is the theme for this whole autumn in the church, isn't it? That we should become more like him, be like him, walk as Jesus did, so on. Well, we can only walk as Jesus did because we've been crucified as he was. We have died and we have been raised to a new life. And our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Now, you don't have to understand that to believe it. You see, that again is the pride of man. I will only believe in something I understand. Well, then you won't believe in God because nobody can understand God fully. Amen? And something is true before you understand it. In fact, it's only when you believe the revelation of truth that you then begin to understand it. But it doesn't become true because you understand it. It was true before you understood it. So you might not have understood that you have died. But actually, you have died <laughs> before your understanding of it this morning. You just come to understand what God has already done for you in Christ. He took me to the cross. He put me to death. Made my life a sacrificial offering to the Father for the benefit of others. So you see, if I believe that I have been crucified with Christ, the outworking of that is therefore I live for others. Otherwise, I negate what my co-crucifixion with Christ means. So, you see, Paul understands all this, of course, uh, because this is, it's through him that we get the revelation of all this truth. So, uh, Paul understands that he was crucified with Christ even though at the time of the crucifixion he was an enemy of Jesus. He understands, therefore, that all these various people that he's talking to, the very religious 
Jews, those from a Jewish background, plus those from a pagan background who lived a very irreligious life, a very immoral lifestyle, those two opposite groups come together in the church under the same truth that the legalistic Jews were crucified with Christ. The immoral pagans were crucified with Christ. They were crucified so that now they become together part of the one body of Christ. And therefore, they live for one another. Now, before their salvation in Christ, the Jews would have nothing to do with the pagans, and the pagans would want nothing to do with the Jews. But now, because of their co-crucifixion with Christ, they become one. Are you breathing? So, we no longer live for ourselves. Paul actually says that the members of the body of Christ belong to one another. So you all belong to one another. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God, and therefore you belong to one another. Because you were crucified for God, and you were crucified for the benefit of others. Mm -hmm. So... There's no such thing as a person living a selfish Christian life. If he's living a selfish life, he's not living as a Christian. He's not living out the salvation that God has made possible through Christ. So, to be like Christ is to be a servant like he is. And the greatest in the kingdom are the greatest servants. So the more we serve, the more like Christ we are. Hello? So listen to what Paul is saying when he writes to the um, Ephesians, chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. This is Ephesians 5. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what he's saying is God has already incorporated us in all that Christ did. We live in him. Therefore, what God desires to see is the outworking in our lives of the same life that we see outworked in his life. That that is what the crucifixion, that is what our co-crucifixion with Christ, that is what our salvation has really made possible. So, you've heard me say several times, and you should understand this even more this morning, God did not come to make you a better person. He came to replace you with a new person. So your identity now is Christ in you. You see, he, he, he didn't die for me to make me an improved Colin. He put Colin to death so that now my identity is Christ in Colin. 
So the life I am called to live is not as a better Colin trying to live as a Christian Colin, but the life I live is the life of Christ in Colin. Somebody say amen, for goodness sake. Are you understanding? Because, you see, Colin died so that now Christ in Colin could live. So my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And because my life is now hidden with Christ in God, because I abide in him, he abides in me. He lives in me. So my identity is Christ in me. Your identity is Christ in you. So God does not call you to live your life for Christ. He calls you to let Christ live his life in you. Now that's something altogether different. Because you see, if you were to live your life for Christ you would choose when to do that and when not to do that. But if actually his call is for Christ to live his life in you, you can't switch that off. I mean, that's his call 24-7. All day of every day. Christ. So the secret is this, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Therefore, if Christ is living his life out in you, you are living for others. That's why you were crucified with Christ. That sacrifice was made to the Father for the benefit of others. So you live for the benefit of others. God isn't interested in fulfilling some dream that you have of how you would like to live your life. His plan and purpose is that your life will benefit others. But they will benefit others in kingdom terms. Are we there? So the sad thing is, you see, there are so many church-going people that don't understand this because it's never been explained to them. You see, the, re the reason why I, I speak of the, the revival in my church in, in the 1970s is because this is how people were living, because they were living in the revelation of the truth. When they came to Christ, they understood they were going to die. I mean, we went through Romans 6, Romans 8, before they gave their lives to Jesus. So they, had, they, they knew, I mean, they knew, you are going to die. When? When? Or at least you're going to recognize that you have died. So when they wrote their letter to Jesus and made that offering, they knew that was their death. That was when they were lining up with what God had done for them in Christ. So you see, that enabled me to have a whole church of disciples. Because actually they were living then in the good of the truth. Well, my life is no longer my own. We live to love, we live to serve, we live to bless others. 
You see, you cannot endlessly look at yourself and think that, that by doing that, you're going to become a better Christian or you're going to become more like Christ. It's actually the very opposite, you see, of what the scripture is telling us to do. What the, what the word of God says is that we're to live in the revelation of the truth of what God has done for us. We always think that somehow we've got to contribute to our salvation, and actually we can't. There's nothing we can do. And Jesus says, well, apart from me, you can do nothing. So even once we're saved, we still can't do anything ourselves. And yet we like to think, oh, if I do this for God, and if I do that, and for this, and that, you know, somehow we feel happy, we feel pleased, because we feel we're contributing. Whereas, in fact, you have to realize, no, there's nothing I can do. I mean, I can't do anything. I've just seen God move in a, in a powerful way among the, the, the folk in, in Italy, but, I mean, all I did was just to speak the words he gave me to speak, but I didn't even decide what to say. See, I was just a mouthpiece. It's what God does that matters. It's not what any of us do that matters. All we can do is to be obedient to the way the Holy Spirit is leading us so that the Christ within us can express his life through us. Hello? But you see, Christ cannot live in anyone until he or she has died. He had to take you to the cross before he could live in you. So all the way through the Old Testament, all these great men and women of God, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. God didn't live in any of them. Christ didn't live in them. It wasn't possible until after the crucifixion and the resurrection and, Je and Jesus returned to heaven. They were all anointed of the Holy Spirit. They were all people of faith. God spoke through the prophets. God worked through these great characters that we read about in Scripture, the people of faith, that, that whole, or the heroes of faith we read in Hebrews chapter 11. But none of them had Christ living in them. It wasn't possible because none of them had died with Christ on the cross. Because that event hadn't happened. But that's a historic, once-for-all event. Your death took place then. When you surrendered your life to Christ, you acknowledged that was the end of your life and the beginning of his life in you. I'm doing my best with them, Father, really. I <laughs> now, when you believe that, obedience not only becomes something you should do, it becomes possible. 
You see, while you think it's you that has to obey out of what you do, then obedience becomes difficult. It's a chore. It's, oh, wow, what have I got to do now? But when you understand that it's your life in Christ and he in you that is all God is concerned about, then you understand that his obedience becomes your obedience. So you see, he was obedient to the will of the Father in going to the cross. He takes you into that act of obedience. He offered himself completely so that you are offered completely to the Father. So the one who lives in you, because you have died with Christ, because your life is now hidden with Christ in God, the one who lives in you is the obedient one. It's not that you have to try to be obedient when you have the obedient one living in you. So your trust in him will make you obedient. Because, you see, the Christ in you is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He lived in obedience then. He is always obedient to the will of the Father. And the Holy Spirit never does anything of himself. He always... Uh, he always makes known to you that which the Father and the Son are saying, so that you are led in the obedience of Christ. So it's not, it's not a question of, I need to surrender myself to Christ. I have. I have been surrendered. He surrendered me when, he, when I, he took me to the cross. When I gave my life to Jesus, that was it. That was my surrender. You see, you can't gradually be saved. Hello? You can't gradually be incorporated into Christ. It's not a process. The process, that continuous tense in, in the Greek, the process is the outworking of what he has done. So Jesus cries out on the cross, as you know, tetelestai est in the Greek. It is finished, it's completed, it's done, finished. But you see, the point is, when he said that, you were finished. He did you in. When he died, you died. Hallelujah. So when you gave your life to Jesus, you made yourself one with him in his death. I mean, you recognized 
Whether you understood that, whether you knew that at the time, that is in effect what was happening. So Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's not possible for a person to be a Christian and to possess his own life. Because your own life was put to death on the cross. So your new life, your new identity that is Christ in you, belongs to him, not to you. You see, and he took you to belong to him, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. Because that's what crucifixion is all about. That's what sacrifice is all about. The sacrifice, he, he sacrificed you to the Father for the benefit of others. So, your body, according to Scripture, is now a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Because that sacrifice was made on the cross, your body is now a living sacrifice. You are now living out the sacrifice of your life that he made when, he was cru when you were crucified with him. You see, Paul doesn't say you've got to make your body a living sacrifice. He says, no, no, no. Your body is a living sacrifice. It is. Because of what Christ has done. What he's done to you. What he's done for you. What he has made you. So your body is now a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. You see, your spiritual worship isn't you trying to do something for God, trying to improve yourself, trying to be more like Jesus. Your Christian life is your body being a living sacrifice, already made holy, already made acceptable to God through what he did when he sacrificed you to the Father on behalf of others when you were crucified with him. Now, I've given you a little leeway. You've had a few weeks before you have to really get to grips with these truths. So your future destiny is in the hands of God. You see, because he did all this for his purpose. Now, your joy and your freedom is to be found in living this out. Freedom is not God just setting you free from a few sins here and there that have persisted in your life. I mean, it's good when that happens. But that's, that's not the essence of what it's about. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. 
Paul doesn't say you need to be set free. He's saying you have been set free. When did he do that? He did it on the cross. When did that become efficacious for you? When you were crucified with him. When you were crucified with him, it was for freedom. He set you free from yourself so that now your identity is Christ in you. What's revival? Revival is a people living like this, living like what I'm talking about. Not living for themselves, but living for others. Now you all know John 3.16, but together with John 3.16, you need one John 3.16. And one John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Right, now we're called to a life of love. But you see, that's not me trying to love God and trying to love others because God has poured his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. No, it's recognizing, first of all, what love is. Love is not what I do. Love is what Christ has done. Are you there? Whatever love I am going to express in my life is therefore going to come out of what love Christ has already done. So, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for others. Why? Because that's why we were co-crucified with Christ. The whole act of sacrifice was for the benefit of others. So you were crucified with him for the benefit of others. So that's why you hear me say endlessly that we do not live for ourselves, we live for others. To, to love with the with the love of Jesus, you are to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is simply saying, you're to live to love others, not to live for yourself. It's as simple as that. Put in its simplest terms. So we live to serve others, and it's only by living to serve others that we can serve God. It's only by living to bless others that we actually bless the Lord. Anybody breathing still? Okay. And it's just after that that John says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. What is this truth? Well, this truth is that our love for others comes out of what love is. What love is, is summed up in Christ laid down his life for us. Therefore, we lay down our lives for others. This is what it means to be a Christian. So, at the Last Supper, Jesus gives this new command, doesn't he? You are to love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, you will continue to live in my love if you obey my commands. 
just as I continue to live in the Father's love by, by obeying his commands. Jesus had to live this out before it could become real in our experience. He had to do it so that then he could do it in us by the power of his spirit. Now. And you see, it's just after this that Jesus then said to the disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Why are there so many joyless Christians? Because they're still living for themselves. And, and they think that God exists for their benefit, to bless them, to heal them, to help them, to encourage them, instead of understanding that you can only live for God if you lose yourself. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, he's got to lose himself. Because the one who seeks to save his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life, for my sake, for the gospel, he will find it. Now you see, it's easy to lose your life if you realize that you've died. But if you're trying to avoid the implications of that, it's because you're trying to hold on to your self-life. You're trying to hold on to what you consider your identity to be. Instead of discovering the new identity of who you are in Christ, with Christ in you. You see, when, once, you, once you understand your new identity, then a whole new world opens up to you. You realize that nothing is impossible for God to do in your life. That God can use you far and way beyond anything that you could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Why? Because the power that is at work within us is Christ himself. And because Christ is in you, then he is able to do far more, far more abundantly, far more abundantly than all you could ask or imagine. It's the power of his spirit. It's the power of Christ within. So, <clears throat> this is why Jesus says, as we were seeing last, when he's writing, when he's speaking the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not worry about your life. Now, of course, when he was preaching then, the crucifixion hasn't yet happened. But you would say, wait a minute. Do not worry, everybody worries. But Jesus does not say something without God making it possible. You see, you don't worry about your life if you realize it doesn't exist. Hello? If you re recognize you died, you can't worry about what's died. Worrying about it doesn't help, doesn't, doesn't accomplish anything. So worry does not belong to your new life of Christ in you, because Christ never gets worried. Amen. 
That's why he says, come to me, all you who labor, all you who worry, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am humble and gentle of heart. And you will find rest, you'll find peace for your souls. <clears throat> Why? Because Jesus said, worry doesn't add a day to your life, doesn't add an inch to your height. Doesn't accomplish anything. Worry just makes the situation look worse. Worry is saying, God, this, this situation is too great for you to handle, so I'll worry about it. But it's a complete denial, you see, of our new life in Christ. See, what, what is the new life? Trust. You can't worry and trust in him. So if you find yourself worrying, that's when you need to remember you've died. Not, oh, I've got to put myself to death so I don't worry. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. You can try to do that. It will never, ever work. But as soon as you start to speak and confess, I have died, then you're set free from whatever. Not just worry, but from whatever else. I've died. I don't have to worry. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, the life I now live, I live by trust in Christ. Hallelujah. Why hold on to yourself if Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing? That's holding on to the life that can accomplish nothing. Oh, but you might say, well, I've got all kinds of natural abilities that God gave me. Yeah, well, they're of no use to God unless they're consecrated to him. Unless they're part of the new life. And he may choose to use those natural abilities, as I've told you before, or he may choose to ignore them because they've got nothing to do with his plan and purpose for your life. Just because you've had na you have natural abilities doesn't mean that God is going to use them. I've, I have certain natural abilities that have nothing to do with my call from God. In the natural, there's a frustrated artist, there's a frustrated actor, there's a frustrated all kinds of things. But that person's died. Hallelujah don't need any of those giftings. If God wants to use it, any of them at any time, then praise God, he will. and does occasionally, but they have nothing intrinsically to do with the call of God. So it is with us. It isn't that we are going to find fulfillment. We are going to find fulfillment in the outworking of our natural gifts. No, no, no. You will only f find fulfillment in the outworking of your life in Christ and the outworking of his life in you. Now, all of you are looking a little shell-shocked this morning. I don't know why, because this is, this is the best news you could possibly hear. I mean, it's the best news to know that you've died. 
you don't have to worry about yourself anymore. I mean, that's, that's good news. It's good news to know your whole future is Christ in you. Your whole future is what Christ is going to work in you and through you for his glory. Okay. So, one more thing. Everything is for the glory of God, yes? Do you remember that just before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, now the time has come. Glorify your Son. He didn't say that when he appeared in his risen body. He said it before he went to the cross. Jesus was glorified in the cross, which is why the cross is now a symbol of the Christian life, Christian faith. So the Father was glorified in the sacrifice of the Son. For him, or the sacrifice to him, made to him, for others. So God was glorified in the sacrifice of your life to him on the cross for others. That took place that God will be glorified in your life. Now, how has he glorified in an ongoing way, by you living out your sacrifice with Christ, that you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. These things I've spoken to you, my joy may be in you, your joy may be full. Just let your face in on the joy. <laughs> is this good news or is this good news? See? So, there's no striving, no straining, just faith. Just faith in him. Faith in what he's done. Faith in not what he's done for you, but what he's done to you. Put you to death. Made you a new creation. So the old has gone and the new has come. Comes to live in you so that his life will now be worked out in you. Can't even really say his life worked out in your life because it's not your life any longer. So his life worked out in you. 
so, you know, if, you, if God does something in your heart one day and as a result of that, it seems that you make a fresh kind of surrender to God. Because there are times like that and people feel like that and they feel good about that. Just understand that what the Holy Spirit is is wanting to work out in your life is not just a gradual putting to death, but he's wanting you to recognize you have died. Everything about you is mine. All that you are, all that you have, everything is mine. Everything. Whether you surrender it to him or not, it's all his. Whether you acknowledge that or not, it's all his. You are his. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are his. Hallelujah. You know, what, what? one of you asked me the other day, what, what motivates you, Pastor Colin, to keep on going, seeking after God and wanting to meet him and more and more? And, I mean, you see, the, the answer is, well, I, my life is not my own. What else am I to do? What else could I do? I can't stop seeking him. I can't stop desiring to meet with him. I can't des stop desiring him to work more of his life out through me, it would be impossible. I could never retire. I could never opt out of his service. It would just be totally impossible. Because I'm not my, I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. So as long as he keeps me going, I'll keep going. When he wants to take me home, he'll take me home. But as long as he keeps me going, it's because there's more that he will want, because he knows he knows that I know that I don't belong to myself. So he knows he can do exactly what he likes with me. Praise God. And mainly, I let him have his way. Occasionally, I get in the way. Because you do one or the other, you see, either he has his way or you get in the way. And occasionally my self-life gets in the way and he doesn't beat me, doesn't scold me. He just reminds me, you have died. I always remember there was uh, <clears throat> an occasion where I was really battling with a, a really difficult situation. And uh, it was causing great concern and it was, it was causing me concern because I, I felt I wasn't really coping with the situation in the way that I needed to. And uh, I, it, was in my, it was in my study at the Hyde where, you know, that was the country house where the revival happened in the early 80s. And, and I can remember I was pacing up and down in my study there and I was, uh, because I, I thought, God, I've got to get the breakthrough. And I was really going for it, you know, boom, 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 boom. 
And uh, all of a sudden, the Lord said to me, shut up. <laughs> Sit down. Just stop it. Sit down. So I stopped pacing and I sat down. And he just said to me, you've died. And that was it. I was free. The matter was resolved. See, he just reminded me, two words, just reminded me of the truth. You've died. What on earth are you worrying about? What are you pacing up and down, praying out and bending my ear to all you're saying? You've died. You've died. You've died. There's nothing to worry about. You've died. Now, I knew that because I was teaching everybody else that. But you see, sometimes you forget to apply the truth yourself. Even if you're a preacher, even if you know these things. But the Holy Spirit is alive within you to remind you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And he owns everything. Even your fees. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. But above all, he owns you. Can you just lift your heart and your hands and your voice to the Lord and thank him that you do not belong to yourself? That you have died. You can't put yourself to death. You can't, you can't do what is already done. See, the scripture says it's done. It's the air is tense. It's a past, finished, completed action. You have died. So whether that is real to you or not at this moment, thank him because it's the truth. I mean, you might not understand it, but it's still the truth. You have died. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. I have died. I have died. Oh, that sinful person that was brought into the world has died. I no longer live. Thank you that I can say the same as the apostle, that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Come on. Can you say this? Come on. Of course you can't say it, but I mean, are you saying it? Hallelujah. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. 
I, I, you know, I, I would have thought that there would be a little bit more noise than this, that people would be a little bit more thankful. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, but it is for freedom. Christ has set you free. He set you free from that life of self. Hallelujah. He's given you a new identity. Christ in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. The enemy doesn't like this message this morning. The enemy knows that this, this message spells defeat for him in your life. The enemy understands that. This is his defeat. Because you see, the enemy, the enemy cannot use what has died. Hallelujah. He wants to try to convince you you haven't died. Because he's a deceiver. Hallelujah. But you have died. You were crucified with Christ. Praise your holy name, Lord. I bless your holy name. Now thank him that when you were crucified with Christ, you were sacrificed to the Father. So thank, thank that Jesus did that. You didn't do that. He did it. You were sacrificed to the Father. Thank him for that. He made you a sacrifice to the Father by just as he crucified himself made himself a sacrifice. He made you a sacrifice because he took you with him to the cross. Can you thank him? Can you thank him? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he made a sacrifice of your life for others. Hallelujah. So can you thank him now? Thank you, Lord. My life has been, my life has been sacrificed to you for the benefit of others. Jesus did this. So that I can love others as you have loved me. Oh, I want, to, I, want to hear some, I want to hear some praying going on here. Not some whispering, some praying. So, now that you have been sacrificed, 
Do what the scripture says. Make your body a living sacrifice. Your body is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Your body, of course, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You see, if you offer your body, you've offered your heart, you've offered your spirit, you've offered your soul, you've offered everything that the body contains. Saying, I give God my heart, means virtually nothing. But when you say, my body is a living sacrifice, you've said everything. Because that is a recognition of what God has done for you in sacrificing you together with himself on the cross. So let your body be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It's not the body is holy and sacrifice, it's the sacrifice that is holy and acceptable, right? This is what is holy, this is what is acceptable to God, that your body is sacrificed to him. Hallelujah. Remember, Christ has done it. You're just acknowledging what Christ has done. This is the outworking of what he has done. This is working out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is living in the good of the cross. Hallelujah. So thank the Lord that the devil can't use what's dead. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, pray in the spirit now. Kora patara ba sandalia leto papapara sita. Papapara sandalia leto papapara sita di santana. Papapara sandalia leto papapara sita di sandalia leto papapara zinana. Bo papara sandalia leto papapara sita di sandalia leto papapara zinana. Papara sandaria leto papara sitari sandaria leto papara sandama. Basta calaria leto papara sandaria leto papara sitari sandama. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Papara sandaria leto papacala sitari sandama. Hallelujah. Sandaria leto papara sandaria leto papara sinama. O papa para sandaria leto papa kara sitri sandama. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Poratapariya leto papa kara sitri sandama. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. O papa papa kara sandaria leto papa kara sitri sandama. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you. We praise you. We are of the same family. Hallelujah. By your mercy, by your grace, by your love, we praise your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Hallelujah. Faith is obedience. Amen. As well as love being expressed in obedience, faith is obedience. If you trust God, then you're obeying him. If you don't trust him, trust in yourself, you're being disobedient. But this is an interesting scripture, you see. He became the sacrifice that was made perfect, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So, Lord, we thank you that we can live in the obedience of faith as those who know that we have been crucified with Christ, that we have died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Lord, you know that these truths are so great, they're so wonderful, it's difficult for us to really grasp hold that such, such truths could be, one, could, could be true for us. But we thank you that they are the truth about us because this is what you have done and this is what we are now, those whose lives are hidden with Christ in God. And Lord, I thank you that we are going to see the outworking of that in our lives. In these coming weeks, months, years, for the rest of our lives, we're going to live in the good of what you have done, of our co-crucifixion with Christ, of the new life, the risen life that we have in him. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that all things are possible for those who have faith in you. And we bless you. We praise you. We exalt you. We thank you. It is for freedom you have set us free. Come on. Let's confess that. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Let's really praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you that you're transforming us into your likeness with ever-increasing glory. 
by your Holy Spirit, as we walk in the truth, as we live out the truth of what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you that we're not transforming ourselves, we're not changing ourselves, we're not striving to become a little better or on a self-improvement program. Thank you, Lord. It's all about you and what you have done and what you have made us. So we praise you and we bless you and we thank you. Kurata paparasandara. Oh, come on, I'm happy. Is, is anybody else happy here? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Amen. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good week. It's going to be a good month. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good future. It's going to be a good eternity. Hallelujah. Because our lives are now already hidden with Christ in God. Praise His holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 